and we're so thankful for our kids' zone workers and uh, our nursery workers providing a great place for our kids um, as they're systematically taught the Bible. Also, want to thank Tim and Stacy for being here. Welcome. I've enjoyed reading your prayer letter. Um, it is exciting. He is an ER doctor, and sometimes he tells stories about stuff he sees in the ER, which I think is always cool. So, uh, yeah, motorcycle injuries and stakes through appendages, and like it's not normal stuff for missionary prayer letters. So, uh, just and it's kind of fun. Also want to say congratulations to Isaac and Lily Forsman. Uh, they're, of course, not here today. They were married yesterday. So congratulations to the Forsman clan. We're so happy for you and for them. Well, we're in Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. It, it may help to start with a table of contents because um, Ecclesiastes is kind of a hard book to find. It is after Psalms and Proverbs, and then you'll find the book of Ecclesiastes. And the question I'd like to start with is this. If you had a hundred days to live, what would you hope to figure out? So if you had a hundred days to live, and remember there was 107 last week, and now there's a hundred this week, uh, the clock is ticking, whether we like it or not, whether we'll acknowledge it or not. That's part of the point of Ecclesiastes. But if you had 100 days to live, not a lot of time, but not no time, is there something that you would want to figure out? Is there a wound that you would want to heal? Is there a problem that you would want to fix? Is there a person that you would want to help? If you had a hundred days to live, what would you want to figure out? Or, or maybe you would say, if there's a hundred days to live, I would try my hardest to avoid problems. Like, I would just do my best to just enjoy life and escape from all of life's hardships for the next hundred days. And if that's how you'd answer that, then maybe that's how you're trying to live now. I'm just trying to avoid, avoid problems. Or maybe you'd say, well, there's it's not really, there's some stuff that maybe you can't figure out, or I don't know about avoiding problems, but here's what I would do. I would try to build something that will outlast me. I, will, I would build something great and enjoy life. Is that what you would do if you had a hundred days to live? See, the reason we're asking this question is, it is because the book of Ecclesiastes forces us to see that we are going to die. And just like in work, we work best when we have a deadline, so in life, we work best, we live best, when we know that we won't live forever. So we know there's a deadline approaching, and so it gives us some urgency in how we live. And so, what would you want to figure out? What would you try to avoid? Or what would you try to build? What are you placing your hope in? That is the question we'd like to answer as we work through this next portion of Ecclesiastes. Before we jump in, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this text and help us not put our hope in the wrong thing. Help us not build on a rotten foundation. Help us not lean our ladder against a paper wall. Lord, stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. Talk over me while I talk to them while we talk about hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're talking about hope from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And as the author of the Ecclesiastes talks about hope, he says, Well, I tried to put my hope in wisdom. And here is how that went. So if you were going to put your hope in wisdom, what you would do is today, what that would sound like is say, I am going to do all the research and I'm going to read all the reviews and I'm going to talk to people who have been there and done that and because I have done all the research and read all the reviews and I've talked to people, I'm pretty sure this project is going to come off without a hitch. I'm going to follow the formula in raising my kids, and because I followed the formula in raising my kids, I can guarantee they're going to turn out like I hope they will. If you're going to place your hope in wisdom, it is saying wisdom is skill for life that the hope is will guarantee an outcome. And so let's, let's look at how that went. So I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So he's like, look, I did all the research, and here's the conclusion I came to. Life is frustrating. Oh, well, that's great. You know, like, thank you for that encouragement today. I feel so much better. Let's keep reading. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. So if you weren't here last week, we defined the term vanity. Vanity means it is going away, and it is going away quick. We said it's like brevity. It is like the proverb that says, beauty is Fleeting, the word there is vain. Like it is, it's not that it's meaningless or useless, it's that it won't last forever. It is going away and it is going away fast. So I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is going away really, really fast. Life is so very short And so it's vain, and it is a striving after the wind, or a feeding on the wind. It is awfully empty. Not super encouraging. You're like, I thought the wiser you get, the more meaning you'd have in life. And he's saying the opposite is true. The wiser you get, the more you see life goes really, really fast and is pretty empty. What is crooked cannot be made straight. This is one of the premises of the book of Ecclesiastes. That what God has made crooked, and we'll find out in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 13, that it is God who made things crooked. And if God has made it crooked, it cannot be made straight. And so, so this is, I think, what 
the author of the book that we're reading as a church together, if, if you decide to participate in that, made the point that he quoted Jeffrey Myers in making, I think he made it pretty well, and that's that not every wound can be healed. And so we try and we try and we try and we try and we try, but not every wound can be healed. And we get frustrated because it's not getting better, but not every wound can be healed. And not every, not every problem can be solved. And we try and we try and we try and we try and we try, but, but not every problem can be solved. And, and we try and we try and we try and we try, but not every person can be fixed. Because what God has made crooked cannot be made straight. It, and no matter how wise you are, you can't make straight what God has made crooked. And I know you're pushing back on this because you're an American and you're going, but we can if we try hard enough and we're smart enough and we get the right technology, it will work and we can straighten it out. And the, pro, and the author of Ecclesiastes would say, we'll keep trying then. And when you come to your end of, the, end of yourself, then, then come back and we'll have another talk. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Like, on this side of Genesis chapter 3, everything is crooked, and there are parts missing. So life is going to be frustrated. How many of you have spent hours, hours, with your kids, helping them, little kids, putting together Legos. Like, I don't do it with your bigger kids, but little kids, you know, you got to kind of help them follow the instructions. And you get, you get the Lego just about all the way built, and then you realize that there's a piece missing. And they're crying, and you're crying. <laughs> and it's like... Oh, it's so frustrating. And he's saying, no matter how smart you are, there are pieces missing. Life will be frustrating. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So I'm not just going to know wisdom. I'm going to know the alternatives. I'm going to know them both. I'm going to know everything. And here's the conclusion. I perceive that this is also empty. It's a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. When he who increases in knowledge also increases in sorrow. It's like... I'm going to try to control my reality. I'm going to try to control everything by knowing everything. So I'm going to watch the news every waking hour so I can control things. Let me ask you, do you feel more anxious or less anxious after watching the news all day long? It's kind of like I have these symptoms, something's wrong. What I should do is become an internet doctor and learn everything I can about these symptoms. You feel more anxious or less anxious on the other side of that? Like, it's like, the more you know, the more you understand, the harder things are. And it's like, I just see more clearly how broken everything is because what is crooked, what God has made crooked, cannot be made straight, and there are pieces missing. 
What is lacking cannot be counted. Is your hope in wisdom? Is your hope that, like, if I know enough, I can control outcomes? Is that what your hope is? Well, here's the gift I want to offer you. I want to offer you the gift of a biblical worldview that would say, on this side of Genesis chapter 3, so when we ate of the forbidden fruit, when we sinned, and God cursed the world because we sinned, work is going to be frustrating. So here's the gift. You don't have to be frustrated that work is frustrating. There are some problems that can't be solved because we're on this side of Genesis chapter 3. There are some wounds that just have to be born. I, I, was, I was running the Marine Corps Marathon several years ago. I know I've shared this story before, but it's been a couple years, so forgive me if you've heard it, but I came up... Uh, was in mile chap in, in mile chapter. You know I'm preaching because I'm talking about chapters. <laughs> I was on mile 12, I think, and I passed a marine on crutches, and it looked like, it, I mean, I'm running. He's on crutches, and it looked like he had been blown up by an IED. He was missing a leg. There were pieces missing off of other legs. There were pieces missing from his arms, like. And there was another Marine in full uniform behind, marching behind him with a wheelchair so that he could take breaks and like he could, he's going to try to do the whole marathon on crutches. Like, this dude, this dude is trying hard. He's trying hard. He has, he has great medicine at his disposal. But look, we're on this side of, chapter, of Genesis chapter 3. And there are some wounds that just have to be born. That's true physically. That's true psychologically. There are some wounds, this side of Genesis chapter 3, that you just have to live with. We think if we just get the right strategy, we can fix this person. We think if we just have the right strategy, I can sin-proof my kids. If I just can control their environment enough, I can keep them from all sin and they'll grow up and turn out like I hope they will. Man, I feel that. I want that too. I want that for my kids. My parents wanted that for me. But that's like trying to keep them from a disease that they already have. It's like trying to keep them from a disease that you have. You can't control outcomes and you can't control people this side of Genesis chapter 3. The world is broken. So what I'm offering you is the gift that you don't have to be frustrated that the world is frustrating. The world is frustrating enough, you don't need to be frustrated with that. You can just say, this is how life is. I'm just going to deal with this frustration as it is. This, is. this is what there is, and this is where we are. So I'm just going to accept this as a gift and live faithfully where we are. 
this side of Genesis chapter 3. Not everyone will accept this. And so what they will do is say, you know what, I am frustrated that life is frustrating, so what I'm going to do is try to escape from reality. And so this is the next option that uh, our, our boy here is going to try. And so he writes, I said in my heart, come now and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So he's, you know, in my day it would have been, I will watch nothing but Comedy Central. You know, I will watch nothing but sports and rom- rom-coms. Is that, did I say that right? You know, I, I am just going to give myself to escapism completely. I will eat nothing but pizza. I will, I will just try to do my level best to enjoy Life. I'm only going to hang out with fun people and think about fun things and just have fun. And so he says, Come now, I'll test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, and behold, this is also vanity. Here's the problem with this, he says, it goes away so fast. The high doesn't really last very long. Not as long as you hope as you hope it will. It's vanity. So I said of laughter, it is mad. Like, why are we laughing at nothing? This is stupid and wrong, and why are we even doing it? And I said of pleasure, this doesn't accomplish anything. Of what use is it? And I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Like, I know what will work. I know what will work. I know what I can control. I can control the bottle. And so we have one bottle, and then we have another, and then maybe a third but the stress is still there, the anxiety is still there, the world is still broken, and my heart still guiding me with wisdom. I just can't escape that life is crooked and cannot be made straight, that there are pieces missing. And, I, and how to lay hold on folly. So like, like okay, I, I'm just going to give myself to the bottle and I'm going to give myself to instant gratification, and if I do that consistently enough, maybe I'll never wake up. Maybe I'll never sober up. Maybe the bill will never come due, or at least I won't know when it does. Till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under the heaven during the few days of their life. Like, I'm just going to escape until I can figure it out. Well, that's a good way to figure it out. I want you to see the connection, though, because we often think that smart people wouldn't fall into this. We often think, well, the smarter you are, the less likely you are to give yourself over to an addiction. I mean, you, you think that, don't you, sometimes? Well, well, remember the order. So first he says, I'm going to know and learn everything. Then he says, well, that's really hard and just brings me more sorrow, so I'm just going to escape. Watch this quote. This is from Strength to Strength. According to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the likelihood of drinking rises with education level and socioeconomic status. Some believe, and I agree based on my work, that people in high-pressure jobs tend to self-medicate with alcohol, including drinking at hazardous levels, which can turn off the sensation of anxiety like a switch. Temporarily. My mom was telling me about a pastor in their town that had to go to a treatment center for alcoholism. 
And the first thing I said was, well, I can understand that. I mean, that's not hard for me to figure out. Maybe you can understand that. The conclusion that Solomon or whichever author this is comes to is, here's the problem with escape. Here's the problem. You always wake up. You always sober up. You always have to come home. The bill always comes due. And worse than that, it's such a selfish, stupid, meaningless way to live. It never accomplishes anything. You don't solve anything. You have no meaning in life if that's what you give your life to. So, so if, it's not, if it's not wisdom that we should put our hope in, and it's not escape that we should put our hope in, well then maybe it's accomplishing stuff and doing stuff. So, the author says, you know what? I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get stuff done. I was going to, my PowerPoint is reminding me here, I was going to say, on this side of Genesis chapter 3, on the other side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there is no escaping that what is crooked cannot be made straight. There is no escaping that there are parts missing. So we always wake up, we always sober up, etc. Okay, so then what he says is, I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to get stuff done. And so I'm going to build and enjoy wealth. Now watch how manic, watch how manic the author gets here. So he says, I made great works. Like I, uh, you know, I'm not going to try to learn everything. I'm not going to try to escape. Now I'm going to be a getter dunner. I'm going to be the biggest getter dunner that you've ever seen. I'm going to move stuff and I'm going to shake stuff and I'm going to make an impact. So I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. You kind of, as you kind of go through this, you kind of get the idea maybe he's trying to rebuild the Garden of Eden. Like a secular Garden of Eden where there is no forbidden fruit, where you can just have whatever you want. Like he's going to try to take the place of God and remake the Garden of Eden and make things perfect because he can do it. If he just takes charge and takes responsibility, he's got it. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks and more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. Can you see how manic he is? Like, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to be immortal and last forever. I'm going to... How's that going to go, do you think? I got singers and men and women and many concubines and delight of the sons of man. And so became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And so I kind of had, no matter what, I couldn't escape it. I was still thinking in the back of my head, but this is still kind of vain. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure 
and, from, and my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was All was vain. It's all just going away. No matter how hard you work, no matter how you invest, no matter what you enjoy, he says it's all, it's all vain. It's all empty. It's a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And that's coming back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. On this side of Genesis chapter 3, what can really be gained? Because life goes so fast. The buildings, great buildings, fall into disrepair, no matter how well they're built. Gardens eventually get taken back over by weeds. You know, I think about this with my yard. I really enjoy taking care of my yard. Actually, I enjoy my kids taking care of my yard. <laughs> and so, you know, we do a fall uh, fertilizer and we do a spring fertilizer and we try to do the crabgrass preventer and sometimes we do the dandelion prevention and, uh, you know, the fall one is to, like, build solid roots. And I really, I really enjoy it. And even then, when I'm out there pushing you know, and fertilizing, I think, how long would this last if I moved? How long would it be until the dandelions came back and the crabgrass came back? And how long would it be until that stuff took back over? I mean, it's there now. <laughs> like, I, I'm not that good at it. But I, how long would it be? Not long. So he just comes to the conclusion, what, what can you really accomplish this side of Genesis chapter 3? So here's a question for you, like, okay, then, pastor, what should our hope be in? Like, say positively what we should put our hope in. If it's not in wisdom, not in escape, not in works, then what, say positively what our hope should be in. I think the Apostle Paul answers this question in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20, he's talking about how creation has been frustrated, brought to futility. So he writes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, for creation was subjected to futility. And this is about Genesis chapter 3. It's about when we sinned and God cursed the heavens and the earth and stuff got frustrating and broken and painful. That's what this is about. Creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, like it didn't pick this. We wouldn't have picked the curse. We sinned, but we wouldn't have picked the curse. Creation certainly wouldn't have and didn't. But because of him who subjected it, now who cursed creation? Well, not us. We're not big enough and strong enough to curse all of creation. We sinned. We're maybe the reason for it, but we didn't do it. Not Satan. He's not strong enough to do it. So who subjected creation? Who cursed creation? God. God did. 
But here are the best two words of this. And this is where we've been going all morning. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope that one day he could unfrustrate it. In hope that one day there would be no curse. In hope that one day all the pieces would be there and creation could be made new. So in in Genesis chapter 3, creation is cursed and we're barred from the tree of life. But then in Revelation chapter 22, there is no more curse and the way is open to the tree of life and it is there for the healing of the nations. So here's what we do. We put our hope in God. Not in wisdom, not in escape, not in our works. We put our hope in God that one day he will do for all of creation what he has already done for Jesus' body. So Jesus' body was dead. God made it alive. It went into the ground in weakness. It was raised in power. It went into the ground in dishonor. It was raised in glory. It went into the ground with a shelf life. It was perishable, but it was raised eternal. One day, God will do what he did for Jesus' body for all of creation. This is what our hope is. We have that hope because Jesus came and died for our sins so that we didn't have to go to hell. He bore the curse He paid for our sins. And then God raised him to life. And he promises to return and make all things new. And that return is our hope. So, for the next hundred days, I hope that you grow in wisdom. Wisdom is better than folly. But I hope that's not your hope. I hope your hope is Christ's return. I hope you have some relief from the being frustrated with work. Work is going to be frustrated. Marriage is going to be hard. Kids are going to be difficult. Parents are going to be even more difficult. But I hope, I hope your hope is in Christ in his return. I hope you enjoy life not because this is all there is, because, but because this is what there is right now. This is the gifts that God has given us. So enjoy them with thanksgiving. Look up and say thank you and enjoy them. But don't put your hope in them that they can deliver you from the crookedness and brokenness of life. I hope you go to work and I hope you work hard and I hope you build something and I hope you take care of something and I hope you do that looking up and saying thank you. But I'm... It will be a relief if you don't find your identity in that and your hope for immortality in that. But put your hope in Christ who is our hope. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would untether our hearts from earthly hopes and put our hope in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.